the thing is there is that, you know, when you look at my name, Joanna Roberts, you don't really hear a Spanish indication. And so I, I not only pass as white in my name, I pass as white in my visage as well. And that's, unfortunately, we tend to look at skin tone when we're trying to figure out somebody's heritage, not recognizing hairline. For example, like I have a Spanish hairline and a traditional Spaniard hairline. You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guest views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Hi everyone, this is Chelsea with the CWC Talks podcast, and today we're talking with Olivia Piketley and Joanna Roberts, um, talking about identity and identity as being Hispanic or Latina. And I'm wondering if you both could kind of introduce yourself and just share a little bit about why you're here today. So I'm Olivia. I'm uh, one of the counselors here at the CWC. Um, I am also a first-generation American. My dad is from Cuba. He moved here when he was a little boy. My mom, um, my mom was born here, uh, but she is Polish, and um, she actually came over in utero <laughs> with my grandparents. Um, so yeah, I'm here to talk about um, identifying with the the Hispanic community um, because I think sometimes I feel like I have my foot in or my feet in two different worlds. Hi, my name is Joanna Roberts. I'm one of the counselors here at CWC. Um, very similar to Olivia, I am a first generation American. My father is American, but my mother was born in Havana and fled Cuba with her family. And pretty much everybody in my family ended up in Puerto Rico or South, Mi- South Miami. <laughs> Um, and yeah, I, I do connect with that feeling of like having a foot in two worlds. Um, I, I liken it a lot for myself as standing on a shifting foundation that never really stays consistent. That's kind of how it feels for me. Yeah, I'm here to talk about that experience because I think well, ever since, uh, what was it, the 2015 census, more and more people are identifying, are having to identify as multiracial because we're not white non-Hispanics. I always hated checking that box. In fact, <laughs> I would check it and then I would cross out non And I I can't stand when there's the, you know, you can only choose one. Hmm. That just doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair to me. 
and other feels wrong. It does. And other feels wrong. And honestly, that's, that's where it commonly felt very different and where it was kind of forced in front of you where you had to fill out forms and like, all right, how do you identify? And it's like, well, <laughs> I would like to hit now it's, it's better. Some forms I've been noticing, like you can hit white and then hit Hispanic. Right. Um, for myself, I identify as white Hispanic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been a long battle to get. <laughs> yeah. It's, it sounds like something that's really evolved over time and it's might feel differently day to day. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad you both are here to talk about this because I imagine a lot of students might share similar journeys or um, identities and how, how their identities might have shifted over time. Um, Even though maybe a lot of people think of um, ethnic or racial identity as something that's pretty static. I think how we classify those things in the U S and I'm sure elsewhere in the world too. It's something that's, you know, how you all were talking about the census changing, you know, it's um, how other people conceptualize those, conceptualize those identities have clearly changed. And um, I'm wondering if you both could just talk a bit about how, how you identify um, ethnically, culturally has maybe changed over time. Yeah. Um, for myself, it was it was always hard to fully connect um, with American culture. And growing up in a lot of different places, uh, but most predominantly like in South Florida, you're there's a sense of everybody's got a little Spanish in them somewhere. So there's not really this feeling of like I really have to understand. Um my American side. I don't need to know that the, the white part of me because that part isn't important. <laughs> um, not in that culture and not, not when you're surrounded by others who, you know, Dominicana, y también. everybody around you has different forms of Spanish heritage and that changes up. Um, one of my best friends you know, she's, her family is from Ecuador and learning the different um, traditions that come through the heritage and where those come from is really interesting. But yet we're both put in the same box, which feels weird because it doesn't feel true. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I do like figuring out what I like that there are several labels that we can pick. You know, you can pick Hispanic, you can can pick Cuban American, you know, Puerto Rican or Boricua. That's fine too, but or Latina, Latinx, Latino. I like that we get to kind of pick our label in that respect because it gives back to that we don't all have the same experience and not every island or every nation is really homogenous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, 
I identify as white Hispanic and I grew up in South Florida too. And, and yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Joanna. It's like, well, everybody is considered, well, you have to, you know, be Hispanic. Uh, my mom who has blonde hair and blue eyes, they, you know, they thought she was Hispanic and she would, you know, they would start talking to her in Spanish and her Spanish is great, but she was, she was always kind of confused. Like, how could they take me? Cause she really doesn't look it, look it, look the part. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it started. So I identified as Hispanic, I think for a while when I was a kid. And then as I started getting older, I would check Hispanic. And then there was the associated assumption that I was fluent in Spanish. Mm. And then I started thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be checking Hispanic because I'm not fluent in Spanish. I can understand some, but I've never been confident enough to speak it, practice it. Um, I can read some of it but I I wouldn't consider myself fluent. Um, So then I I started second guessing like, well, am I Hispanic enough to check this box? And if I'm Hispanic, then what about half of my family who doesn't identify as Hispanic? What about my mom's side of the family and that culture, the Polish culture, which is important to me is, am I just, you know, supposed to ignore that? So that's where, that's where the conflict has been for me personally. Mm-hmm. I hear both of you kind of talking about the feeling of being between many different cultures, maybe, and, you know, sounding like um, living in South Florida and Miami being almost its own kind of cultural place. It's North um, Cuba. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, being between like different cultures within your own family and not maybe feeling like there's one place that you fit in there. Yeah. I mean, before we started recording, you know, we were checking in, I mentioned, I, I feel nervous talking about this topic uh, because I don't feel as if I have enough authority to talk about this topic because I to the passerby, I look like typical white American. Yeah, another Caucasian girl. Um, nobody would really know that I look exactly like the spitting image of my mother, who looks like the exactly spitting image of her mother, all the way to my great grandmother. We all look the same, and they were all born in Cuba. Mm-hmm. But the thing is there is that, you know, when you look at my name, Joanna Roberts, you don't really hear a Spanish indication. And so I, I not only pass as white in my name, I pass as white in my visage as well. And that's, unfortunately, we tend to look at skin tone when we're trying to figure out somebody's heritage, not recognizing hairline. For example, like I have a Spanish hairline, a traditional Spaniard hairline. So if you were to know that, you'd be able to identify that. I'm sorry. There's a lot of work happening outside my office right now. If you can hear it, I apologize. (laughs) Okay. 
just wanted to pause for a second to see if that would. <laughs> yeah. Don't um, mute Joanna. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm glaring at the guy. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> But um, I don't, I don't pass as white. I don't pass as Hispanic um, to people's stereotypical idea of what a Hispanic looks like or what a Cuban American looks like. And I think one of the difficult things um, I see most often with Cubans is the Cuban Americans is the fact that many look white. And a lot of the reason for that was when many were fleeing initially, it was the white, white Cubans who were able to flee quicker because of socioeconomic status. It's just mm-hmm. what it was. Um, and so there's, there's this separation that's seen there. Um, and I think it's hard to, for me especially, to reconcile because while they while my mother looks white you look at her she's got blonde hair light green eyes you'd never she does not tan she burns um, porcelain skin all that but she speaks spanish she's so connected to her heritage and that she lived in cuba and then she lived in puerto rico for most of her life Mm -hmm. i don't have that connection to the island i don't have that connection to the language i don't speak spanish um i'll slip into spanglish but that's my kind of extent and there's been some difficulty in in learning spanish because it feels like all right well i'm supposed to already know this mm-hmm. and there's a shame that comes along with it that i didn't know i don't know it and so if I try to learn, then everybody's going to think that I'm just this gringa that's just trying to appropriate the culture. It's it's exactly that. It's feeling like I'm appropriating my own culture by exploring it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I don't know about you, Joanna, but I that shame that I remember experiencing that shame when I was younger. Like, you know, you should know Spanish. Like I would hear that from other family members. How come you don't know Spanish, you know? And it's like, well, you don't speak to me in Spanish. That's why I don't know it, you know? And yeah, and it and so it's hard. And I'm, you know, I, I think I'm, you know, white passing, you know, too. I'm Caucasian passing. I don't think most people would assume that, you know, I have a Cuban line. Um and so, of course, then, then we get to hear what people really think about Hispanics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When you know just fun. enough Hispanic, when you know just enough Spanish to know what they really think. Too. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. We become very good at finding the microaggressions in both cultures. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Can you all say say more about that, like, you know, kind of passing maybe one way or the other and, you know, what it's been like to hear some of those things from other people. Uh, Sure. I remember in Miami, um, a supervisor uh, 
I, who I had told, I had had conversations that, yes, I'm Cuban. I don't speak Spanish. Uh, a few times. She would constantly forget. And one time I ended up getting to hear her say exactly what she thought of me in Spanish to a coworker that she saw me and waved at me and thought I didn't understand. Mm. And having to deal with confronting that or the really the challenge of do I confront it or do I not? Um, and, you know, and those were not kind words. Mm-hmm. They were, and a lot of them were about like, oh, this little white girl, she doesn't know the people here. She can't help them. She can't be a good therapist to them because she doesn't know their struggle. Mm. And eventually I did decide to confront her. And nothing came of it because very rarely it does. Um, but the, And then flipping it, I remember talking with somebody um, about, like, I was away from Miami for a bit and I was I was talking with somebody and like, oh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Miami. Oh, you know, I just, I can't stand those Cubans. They have awful food and I just, and they're so lazy. Like, uh, hello, random person. Thanks for the casual racism. Mm-hmm. And having to sit there with that of, do I, do I challenge? Is it worth it or do I not? granted i decided to challenge him again because apparently i'm extremely confrontational um <laughs> but both i've i've seen it from both sides and it can be pretty pretty shocking when it just pops up at you yeah, yeah something someone... go ahead <laughs> i was just gonna say when yeah when someone doesn't either think you understand or thinks hey you're you're one of me so I can actually say what I really feel like that feels so gross. <laughs> yeah. I would be like, why would you assume I'm a racist? Like you are? also, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, What is it about me? <laughs> then again, I, I, for in that instant, in that particular instance, I, and other ones, I have to say, you know, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. Mm-hmm. because they wouldn't say that to somebody who they think is Cuban or Hispanic, right? Mm-hmm. So at least then I'm given the opportunity to challenge them. But it's really annoying that I have to keep doing it. <laughs> right. Right. It's like, maybe I should just get a tattoo of the Cuban flag right on my neck. There. <laughs> that way they're really seeing a lot. Yeah, Yeah, I had something similar happen to me when I was um, living in Orlando. I was at a party for a friend um, for her graduation. And, you know, it was a huge party and um, family friends were there and, you know, mingling. And this older gentleman asked me, yo, you know, where, where do you live or where are you from? And I said, oh, I'm from Miami. And, you know, 
such and such. And then um, he just kind of started going into it like, oh, are you glad you're up here? And I said, yeah, you know, because of the traffic, traffic is terrible in Miami. And um, it's not any better in Orlando. Well, yeah, well, at that time, it, it was a little bit better in Orlando. Trust me. Um, that was when UCF wasn't even on the map. So um, anyway, so yeah, and then he just started saying, you know, yeah, there's too many Hispanics there and they're bringing in all of this crime and everybody's speaking Spanish and nobody speaks English anymore. So many Cubans, uh, blah, 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 blah. And finally, I he paused long enough for me to say, well, that doesn't really bother me because half of my family is Cuban. And he just, he, he his face just turned white as a sheet. And he just kind of backed away with his tail between his legs. And he didn't talk to me for the rest of the the party. But um, yeah, that was, that was something. And yeah, just hearing other people, you know, saying the S word, the S P I C Uh word in front of me. And they're not realizing that, um, Mm -hmm that's offensive. Mm -hmm. That's extremely offensive. Mm -hmm. Like I, I imagine in that situation, Olivia, like I can, I can imagine some level of almost like satisfaction in being able to like, kind of confront someone's racism but Mm -hmm. at the same time like god how awful must it be to be stuck in that situation where you're hearing it right you know like you you get to see who people really are and in some way that can be helpful it can be yeah yeah but just kind of being exposed to that and like yeah I I can't imagine. It's ugly. Yeah. It's an ugly sight and it's an ugly feeling. Mm-hmm. And even if you get to have like the, ha, I owned a moment. Um, that doesn't feel any better. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, mean sure. You, it's, it becomes a good anecdote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell to your friends and they can laugh at it. and like, yeah. But the fact that that's still a pervasive stereotype. Yeah. is something that makes me want to roll the eyes, my eyes all the way to the back of my head, as my grandmother would say. <laughs> right. And what's interesting too, just thinking back to that, that same time frame, I was um, roommates with two Cuban girls and we were talking about like our bloodline at some point and her family came to Cuba from Spain And I was explaining how my family came to Cuba from England. And she was like, oh, well, then you're not a real Cuban because your family didn't come from Spain. Mm. And I'm like, we were in Cuba for a few generations. You know, how how does that not make me Cuban? Or then you even get, you know, oh, well, I can because like I can talk trace my family history back to Castile 
like very mm-hmm. particular part of Spain. I can trace mm-hmm. it back to, and I've gotten that too. Like, well, you're not, then you're not really Cuban. You're Spaniard. Right. Yeah. I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. my family came over. And they all moved there. Sure. And then we all had to leave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It feels like nothing you can do is enough. No. No. And I'm wondering, I know Olivia earlier you was you were saying like the feeling of not being Hispanic enough. And I'm wondering if um you or either of you kind of remember maybe the first time you kind of felt that. Elementary school for me. Hmm. I can't remember the grade. Don't ask me the year. Um, <laughs> but I remember in elementary school. Yeah. I was a, uh, you know, some project where they tell you, oh, well, you know, come talk about your family's culture and how that, you know, some culture day. And at the time, I was not living in South Florida. <laughs> um, but trying, but I found myself having difficulty trying to explain Hispanic culture and Cuban culture, particularly. And another girl blew me out of the water. She was so sure in it. She, you know, both of her parents um, were from the same culture. They, she looked the stereotypical Hispanic or Latina girl. You know, long dark hair, beautiful, beautiful brown skin beautiful brown eyes and she blew me out of the water and it felt like I remember thinking to myself ah that's what I'm supposed to look like mm. that's what I'm supposed to be like and she ended up saying half bit in Spanish too so. mm. I remember feeling envious of her and that assurity of her identity and when it came time for me it was Oh, I'm a little bit Cuban and I'm a little bit American and I don't really know what American means. And I'm only just trying to figure out what Cuban means and I don't speak the language and, and I'm going to go sit down now. Hmm. That had to have been so hard. Yes. And it's, and it's a feeling that has stuck with me clearly because I'm able to recall it so quick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a feeling that has continued. <laughs> I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm still not enough. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that a lot of my childhood was learning about the island and learning about the people <laughs> and learning about my culture and being surrounded by family, even if I couldn't speak Spanish (laughs) they still spoke Spanish all the time Um, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter that a lot of my childhood was also dedicated to helping um, undocumented undocumented people learn English so they can take the take the test and become citizens like it doesn't matter that 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 all of that doesn't matter what I do I still don't look it I still don't sound like it Mm -hmm. it feels like there's all of these kind of different requirements almost to make your who you are valid to other people 
remember growing up, one of my best friends, um, she's half black, half white. And we connected because we both connected with that feeling. (laughs) Granted, completely different experience. I don't have to, you know, I don't deal with the fact that both parts of both parts of her, there's one part of her that has significantly abused the other half. Right. Um, She doesn't, I don't deal with that. But it's more of the, the casual racism that, and the more subversive of like, oh, so your family must be picking, you know, some, something in the field as migrant workers, or you must be doing this. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, did, you, did your mom come here on a raft? Like, yes, I was just about to say that. And it's like, no, my dad flew here on a plane with my grandmother and his sister. And would it be so bad if she, uh, my, my favorite response to that is, why is that so bad if she did? Yeah, exactly. So what? That's true. <laughs> there That's might true. be a good reason for it or not. Right. And why is that realize, matter? It, it's only 90 miles from shore to Florida to Cuba. All right, fine. I want you to think about traveling 90 miles without a navigation system, mm-hmm. with limited food, mm-hmm. limited water, yep, and just a hope and a prayer that you'll hit the right land. Before the U.S. Coast Guard catches you. Mm-hmm. The amount of courage that it takes, takes yeah. to make that trip is incredible. Yeah. I had a relative. She's a distant cousin who came from Cuba when I was in high school through, you know, on an inner tube. And she didn't know how to swim. And there were sharks traveling around them. And... Yep. It was just, and she has made such a life for herself here. Mm-hmm. You know, she began working from day one. But all people can think of is, oh, you came on an inner tube. Right. And I think um, moving up here to Gainesville, that's been the biggest shock for me. Everybody in South Florida and you know, Miami, eh, maybe Boca, some of Boca, <laughs> some of West Palm. But, you know, everybody down there knows, at least tangentially, the struggle, mm-hmm. right? Every, you know, there's, there's still a little Haiti down in South Florida that people are right. very connected to Haiti and the struggle that's happening there. And so that's, that's been a backdrop for me. Mm-hmm. And then to come here and explaining it to somebody you know, the struggle that is happening on islands like Haiti and islands like Cuba, well, more specifically Haiti and Cuba Mm -hmm. and the shock on their face of that still happens. Yeah. Like, Oh God, y'all don't know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How, how do you not know is my intense thought. And then, right. Cause you don't have to. Like, I still got family back on the island. Yep. Yeah. Going from a role where you're, like, feeling like you still don't quite belong to having to, like, educate other people about what's happening. And I wonder, like, how it's been. I know a lot of students also come to Gainesville from Miami and might experience similar things. Um, You know, everyone's story journey is a little bit different but yeah I I imagine a lot of students are kind of going through a similar process 
Mm-hmm. Oh, you're right. I've heard, you know, from a few students, I've been able to have contact with them about that. There's a, there's a culture shock. You know, we joke about it being North Cuba or, you know, we have little Haiti, we have little Havana, but it's a different, it's a different tapestry that you're always, that's always right behind you. And then you come to Gainesville, which no knock on Gainesville. I like it. I like it plenty, Um, but it's different. And, you know, there's not fulanos y fulanas in the park playing dominoes, at least none that I've seen. Maybe that's because of COVID. Maybe they'll pop out after COVID. Um, (laughs) But small things like that. Mm -hmm. I wonder... um, I know kind of in the beginning, we were talking a little bit about being forced to like make choices on the census or demographic questionnaires um, um, about how you identify. And I wonder um, if you like right now, um, what it's like to maybe have a choice or have ownership over this is who I am. Um, this is what my cultural race ethnicity is. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> it's still a little tricky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, you know, feel a little strange. And, you know, I have children and they are. Cuban and of course they don't look it and it's like when I'm filling out forms for them what do I write do I write white do I write Hispanic I guess they're more white than Hispanic so that's kind of how I justify writing white but then it just feels strange like I don't want them to be denied their heritage because it's such a big part of it. It's such a big, it was such a big part of my upbringing and I'm carrying along some same, some of those same traditions with them too. So yeah, it's, it's still tricky, still tricky. I mean, I, I'm, I'm proud of being Cuban. I'm proud of being Polish. I'm proud of being American. But I can imagine that a lot of people struggle with which box to check, even those who, you know, are outside of what we're talking about when it comes to gender, when it comes to other races, you know, checking the box between white and African-American, checking the box between white and Asian, checking, you know, that's tough. I remember as a kid wanting to just say, like, I, feeling like I just want to throw up my hands and hit American. Where's the American box? Right. Because that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That can mean whatever we want. That's right. So let, let me pick that one. That's yep. the only thing I'm sure of is that I'm American. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. It's not, it's not a binary thing that no. we try to make it. Um, mm-hmm. And I get I, it. Computers like ones and zeros, <laughs> <laughs> but we're not ones and zeros. Yeah. No, no. I know somebody who um, she's a, she's a awesome activist and she will check a different box every time. (laughs) And (laughs) she's, you know, clearly Caucasian, but she'll check black. She'll check Asian. She'll check Hispanic. And she's like, what do they know? They don't know. I could check anything. And what's the point? And not to mention a lot of times they don't care. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's the hard part too, is the person who's filling it out is the one having this existential dilemma, uh, you know, mm-hmm. trying to identify mm-hmm. myself in a box. Um, and then most of the times the thing on the form, like you don't even care. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very intentional now, um, you know, in roles I've been where we've created forms or things like that of asking the question, do we have to ask that? Mm-hmm is that needed information and if so how why is it needed that's made me very focused on that of like okay but why why do you need to know that about their identity Mm -hmm. where does this information go right how is it used Mm -hmm. and if it's not used then why are you asking it right you know, we can even say that for, for gender identity of like, well, you know, why do you, why do I need to define my gender on a form there? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so we know how to address you. Well, then you can just ask for my pronouns because that's really what you're wanting to figure out. So, and my gender identity doesn't mean my pronouns. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why are you asking that? Yeah. I'm wondering what kind of, you know, it sounds like growing up and, you know, being from Miami and living in Gainesville now might be really different experiences like we were talking about before. And I'm wondering, like, especially for students listening to this, like what kind of success or what kind of advice you all would have um, for students maybe moving to Gainesville and just trying to find people to connect with that might have a shared similar experience? I think culture, there can be so many different types of culture. Mm -hmm. You know, you might find people who are from Miami that you can connect with. You might find people who are Hispanic that you can connect with. Or from Tampa. Right. You know, you Mm -hmm. might find people who, um, I lost my train of thought. Crap. Pause. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I do that to people. So culture can be defined however way you want it Mm -hmm. to be. It doesn't necessarily mean, hey, you've got to find, 
you know, people from Miami who identify as Cuban American. And those are the only people that you can hang out with. You can hang out with artists because you're an artist. You can hang out with math gurus because you're a math guru, you know? I mean, it's it's a culture is what you make it. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. I think one of the best advice I can give, especially I moved around a lot as a kid. I was always the new kid. <laughs> so what I found helpful every time, and especially when it came down to culture, is to look for the similarities. It's like I said, one of my best friends growing up, we were able to connect being being biracial differently not the same experience in no way would either of us trying to say that we had the same experience but we could understand that part of each other mm-hmm. so look look for the similarities and if you think you're the only hispanic latina latino latinx person in town the recent protests have shown me that is not the case, my friends. No. no. And there's, you know, the MCDA mm-hmm. with La Casita that's available for Hispanic identifying students. There are CWC groups here for Latinx support. Como estas? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Right. I believe there's also the Hispanic Student Association. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And not to mention, this might even be show your roommates your culture. Teach them dominoes, man. Most people don't know how to play it. Yeah. You'll be able to finally wipe the floor with somebody and not get beat by your grandmother again. Show them how to make a cafecito, a true cafecito. Mm -hmm. What are some things that you love about your culture or love about being who you are? that's a difficult question love the cohesion of my family and i'm not saying that it's exclusive to my cuban heritage but growing up with my cousins was awesome and i talk to my cousins every day we have a group chat on whatsapp And we talk to each other all the time, kind of updating each other on different things, sharing pictures of what we're doing that day, asking for advice, whether it's, hey, where should I go for vacation? Or, you know, what should I do with this, you know, issue I'm having with a coworker? Or does this dress look good on me? You know? It, and and just having just having that closeness is what I really love. And we can go months without seeing each other. And when we do, it's like it's like nothing. Like no time has passed whatsoever. 
I say that that's a difficult question for me because there's a distinction in my mind of what's my father's culture mm. and identity, what's my mother's culture and identity, and then what's mine because mm. it's different. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, what I like about mine, if I'm using that distinction for myself, is the two polar thoughts and um, values of staunch individualism and collectivism that get to stay together and I get to be more balanced. So I don't completely lose myself in my family, but I also don't lose my family being completely in myself. That was beautifully said. Yeah. The both ands. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. (laughs) And then being a mental health counselor in his family, that's a whole new other thing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Why do they need to talk to you? Why don't they just talk to their priest? Uh, okay. Okay, Thea. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm curious what, like, your experience has been, um, you know, with that being your career. <sighs> There's a huge stigma, mm-hmm. huge. You don't, you don't go outside the family to talk about your problems. Yeah. You don't tell anybody about your problems, whatever your problems are. You either keep to yourself or you talk to your family or you talk to your priest. Um, but yeah, you, you don't go airing dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. And which if we look back and makes perfect sense because, you know, being, being from immigrant families, you know, our families didn't have the luxury of already having a village set up for themselves where they were mm-hmm. and being homogenous in the, in the culture. And so anytime I'm sure they, if they reached out to people who didn't understand their culture, and then, oh, well, oh, yeah, I have to take care of my mom. Like, what do you mean you have to take care of your mom? Like, you don't have to do that. You can send her to, you know, a nursing home. And that's perfectly reasonable. And, yeah, that's a perfectly reasonable option. Not in our culture. Right. Mm-hmm. And, like, something as universal as that, as take, caring for an aging parent, I could imagine our families dealing with that backlash and thus reinforcing that don't, don't go talking to other people because they're not going to get you. And also too, coming from communist dictatorship countries, you don't talk about stuff because if you talk about something that makes you appear weak or vulnerable, then that automatically makes you a target. And that puts your lives in danger. You say the wrong thing to somebody, you put somebody else's life in danger. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like at 
at best people won't understand and at worst it's deadly or mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. for your family and then i see it across hispanic um you know hispanic and latina cultures as well because there's this it, it is a collectivist culture in that it you work for your family and you work together and that is that is where you get your strength your community is your strength. And so to go outside of that is alien mm-hmm. and can be seen as, well, what's wrong with your family? Yeah. It's like, nothing's wrong. Yeah. With my family. I don't have any problem. Well, eh. uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's not a reflection on y'all. It's just, but that's that's how that feels within families and talking with you know parents um even now of saying like well you know sometimes you know they they need that outside perspective why is mine not good enough you know oh well if not me then their cousin you know not if not me then their tío of course their tío's got the answers you can talk to your abuelo what are you doing And that's why a lot of times we see students who have never gone to a counselor before because their family didn't allow it. Their family Mm -hmm. didn't believe in mental health. Mm -hmm. And so they finally are able to get out of the house, become more independent, and then seek their seek their own therapy, you know, advocate for their own health. It's very Mm -hmm. freeing. Mm It's very freeing. And in that there, in that freedom, there's also this, this fear because there's a disconnect that can happen. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I can feel it. I can but imagine. But sometimes it's what's needed. Yeah, I, I, I imagine if if you were to internalize some of that, like perhaps feeling some shame or just some kind of emotional distance from being able to like open up to a therapist or, you know, seek counseling. It can, it's getting easier, Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still there. And that stigma is still there. And they're seen as something's wrong with you and something's wrong with your family. If you're going to see mental health and, it's not the case. You don't have, something doesn't have to be wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it just depends on what your, what your goal is. And, and, mm-hmm. and honestly, as frustrating as it is to have a conversation with your parents, well, I'm going to go see a therapist and there ain't nothing you can do about it. Nah, 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 nah. Um, <laughs> it's going to cause a lot of, <laughs> a lot of yelling. A lot of screaming. It's just what is. It can honestly be very helpful for your relationship with your parents. Because you can gain more perspective. I will say it could be, especially if you're dealing with that cultural dynamic, I strongly encourage you to find a therapist who has, you know, not, not to say you don't have to work with somebody who looks like you and that's it but somebody who does have at least have some cultural understanding Mm -hmm. 
like my friend, she started going back to therapy again and it took her some time to find somebody that gets it. Yeah. That the the idea of her leaving the house before she's married oh, is yeah. a big rift. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, okay, fine, you can go away and go to go to college, but you're coming back, right? Mm-hmm. Uh no. No, I'm not coming back. What? Why? Why don't you love your parents? I do love my parents. I do, <laughs> but this is what I need for me. Yeah. But I think with each generation, and I think of this across the board, you know, no matter what what culture we identify with, I think we're reducing that stigma of mental health little by little. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I think kind of shifting it to a perspective of like, you know, A, first of all, like Joanna said, not something doesn't have to be wrong with you to see mm-hmm. a therapist. It's something probably most people could benefit from at some point in their life. Yeah. Um, but also it's, you know, if you are sick, physically, you go to the doctor and mm-hmm. mental health professionals are professionals, um, you know, in this in this area. And sometimes, you know, a friend or a family member can be really helpful. And you should definitely find a therapist that understands like where you're coming from. Um, sometimes talking to a professional is, is really important in some situations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes doing that can be the thing that saves your relationship with your family instead of just cutting them off entirely. Right. Yeah. Rich, hey, there's lots of different ways and there's lots of different families. Mm-hmm. You know, Olivia's got her cousins and that good, strong connection. Mm-hmm. And my two sisters are not related to me. But one's Cuban and one's Ecuadorian. <laughs> well i'm wondering if you all have any like final things you'd really want to share or leave students with i think olivia said it best culture is what you make it and i think something that's coming hard to grips for me is recognizing there's no one way to be Cuban American. There's no one way to be Hispanic. There's no one way to be a woman. Mm -hmm. There's no one way to be anything. No, (laughs) it's all on a spectrum. Uh, And that spectrum is what makes life interesting Mm -hmm. and what makes life life and giving. It's something I'm still struggling with, but I encourage y'all to, Give yourself grace as you try to figure out how to be you. All I can think of is I'm hungry and I want some Cuban food. <laughs> right? All I want to know, all I want in the world right now is abuelas, but they're closed and I know it. 
<laughs> I just want an empanada from Miapa. <laughs> no, I I want a very specific empanada good. from this little tiny cafecito down in South Florida. It's right off of 8th Street, and I can't get it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe I'll go cook some tonight. There you go. And burn it. <laughs> that sounds delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I really enjoyed talking with you all today, and I hope that this resonates with some folks out there listening. Yeah, I hope so, too. Me, Me three. (laughs) Okay. Bye. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.